West Bowles, good morning. It is so good to be home and see all of you. Uh, some people asked me how, uh, how the last few weeks have gone. We, I haven't been here and so got to rest and people said, well, what did, what did rest look like? And we got to go visit South Dakota, but the way it all started actually wasn't necessarily all that restful. Um, I, I decided we got a basketball hoop out on the side of our driveway and I challenged my wife to a game of horse and she beat me. And so it, I thought, well, that was a fluke. Um, so I want to rematch, like immediately after that first game. And she beat me again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you just keep talking smack. All right. So she's been so gracious in victory, as you can tell. Um, I'm 5'4". It's not a big accomplishment. All right. <laughs> it's, a, it's like we have our rim set at seven feet. I specialize on 10-foot hoops, okay? So... <laughs> Uh, anyhow, that's, uh, that's how it started, but we, it was much more restful as we went. And speaking of the last three weeks, um, will you please, please join me in thanking three people specifically who allowed me to take a break and breathe and rest, and that is Brian Burns, Julie Burns, and Amy Shane, who all filled the pulpit. They did, I got to hear all their messages, and they did an incredible job. And there is just something that comes with saying yes to God. We have an enemy who does not like that. And so to those three, I appreciate all that you have also walked through in the process of putting those messages together. With all that said, will you join me in prayer? And we will uh, we'll get going. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, and we are reminded, uh, as we've already sung, of just how holy and how glorious you truly are. And even this morning, as many of us woke up to the news of the events in El Paso and Dayton, Ohio, we're reminded that the human heart is in need of the gospel of Jesus Christ more than ever. And so we pray specifically for the churches, for the body of Christ in those communities, strengthen them and open our eyes. If there's any way that we can support the body of Christ in those places, make that known Stir that within us and soften our hearts this morning as we take a look at your word. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, recently I had the opportunity to get into a water fight with our children. And uh, they decided to set the, the ground rules. And the ground rules were simply this. Dad, you don't get anything. I went, cool, thanks guys. So one child had the hose. Uh, one child had a water, uh, like a super soaker. And then the other had, you know those water cannons where you put it down in a pool of water and you can like vacuum up water into it? And those things, that stream of water is not just like a squirt bottle. It's not a little spritz. It is, it is like if you're not wearing a swimsuit, you have to go change your clothes. It gets you that wet. And so they finally relented and allowed me, if I could be fast enough, I could run by the little baby pool out back and gather water in my hands. This is what I had. So this is what I did, and you know, a water fight, trying to, trying to battle like this. Have you ever tried to just walk holding water in your hands? It's awful. So I went after one of them, and I acted like I was going to get them, and just that little fake, like half the water came out of my hands. And then they would just flinch at me, and a little more water would come out of my hands. Um, one of my children, and I'm not going to name who it was, uh, probably not the one you'd suspect, actually, one of my children who had that water cannon decided, it was empty, 
And for those of you, of you who have seen the movie Dumb and Dumber, you, you know this. Um, when Harry and Lloyd are walking into the charity ball and they've got those canes, and I think, is it, is it Harry? Harry comes up and smacks Lloyd on the back of the legs with that cane. That's what one of my children did to me with the water cannon. And um, I said, Kara, I didn't realize our children joined the mafia. That was, that was like mafia-style hit right there. What I thought was so interesting is on my way down to the ground, I'm still trying to hold water in my hands. <laughs> Forget the water, Nathan. And I realized there comes a point, and so much more than a water fight, our hands, as we walk through this life, we eventually are drained of the water we're trying to carry. In fact, that's what this series has been about. That before we head into a, a maybe for many of us, a more chaotic time of the year, I won't, I won't mention what's coming up in a few weeks, teenagers, um, but there's just a busier time of schedule coming. And so we wanted to take about five, six weeks this summer and look at the Psalms and refuel because there is so much wisdom and there's so much insight in the Psalms as to how we actually refuel, how you can actually walk through life and keep the water in your hands. And you can be nourished and you can be replenished and you can be refueled. But when we run out of water, you know what we do oftentimes? We look at the person who caused it. It's the person who, who smacked us on the back of the legs. It's the person that we were chasing after. Sometimes it's the face in the mirror. We often associate the difficult places we find ourselves with a human face, don't we? And if we were to face it, the most difficult problems are people problems. I mean, you can have a job that requires immense physical energy and long hours, and that's a different, there's just no energy drain, there's no strength drain like people problems. A tight schedule, tight finances, physical pain, long distance drives, those are not the major battles in life. It's often people. And you know how you know this? Because every single person in here have had those imaginary conversations where you've got the person's face there and you think, if I could just give them a piece of my mind, I wouldn't be in this situation. Or if they hadn't, I wouldn't be in this place. See, when we look around at tough places, you know what we often see? Our human faces. We focus on the human Faces. In fact, David, David, he, he said it this way in Psalm 57, where we'll be this morning. He said this. He said, I am in the midst of lions. I am forced to dwell among ravenous beasts. Do you have those? Don't point if you do. Uh, men, men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Now, what's so interesting to me about this psalm, some of the psalms we know nothing about what's going on. In, in most of them, David's life at the time. But this one actually gives us a description of what he was going through. And it's that description that actually gives me so much hope when you look at what he says in this psalm. Because at the top of the psalm, a little description says this is a psalm of David from when he had fled from Saul, King Saul who was pursuing him, when he had fled from Saul into the cave. And so you have David in a very tough place, a cave, which so often is the symbol throughout scripture of fear and loneliness and darkness. And he's been fleeing. He's been on the run. And yet in the same breath, the very next verse, listen to what comes out of David's mouth. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. And I just think, how? 
David, how can you say that in the midst of what you're running through? How can you even, how can you even go there? I mean, Saul is bent on killing David, and that's it. That was the only satisfactory result for Saul. Do you have a cave this morning? Are you facing a cave right now? Because I'd be willing to bet, along with that tough cave, that lonely, fearful, dark cave that you're in, or maybe those that may come about as we enter into a busier season, I'd be willing to bet there's going to be a tendency to associate a face with it. And it's with that in mind, I want to look at a few insights from David's time on the run. Here he is reflecting in the cave, but I can't help but think he's got what he's going through in mind. And the insights maybe he's gleaned from being on the run from King Saul. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. It's actually um, a few different chapters out of 1 Samuel that just so tie to what he has to say in this psalm. Listen to this. He continues. He says in verse 6, they spread a net for my feet. I was bowed down in, and listen to this word, distress. They dug a pit in my path, but they have fallen into it themselves. And, And the word here that's so interesting to me is distress. Because when I think about God, what do I want God to use? And what do you want God to use? We want God to use our strength, our success, our accomplishments, our ability, our, our, our achievements. And David, David uses this word that comes into play in 1 Samuel chapter 22, that word distress. Listen to this, in 1 Samuel chapter 22, David had learned that Saul wanted to kill him, and he goes on the run, and he ends up in a cave for the first time. It says, David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. All those who were in, and here's our word, distress, or in debt, gathered around him, and he became their leader. And if you were to keep reading 1 Samuel chapter 22 and 23, you discover This was not just a couple of people in distress. 400 men, 400 men in the cave who were in distress, in debt, they came to him. And it says he became their leader. That number would eventually grow to 600 over the next couple chapters. And we come back to David in the cave. Read what he said again. They spread a net for my feet. I was bowed down in distress. They dug a pit in my path, but they have fallen into it themselves. What if, what if it was in our distress that God wants to use our story to connect with others? Uh, He says, I know, I know you want the achievement and, and the ability and the accomplishments and just all this strength. And God says, but I can use your distress. And this really brings up an insight out of David's time on the run that he's speaking to in in Psalm 57. And it's simply this, that our caves can reach more people than our mountaintops. Our cave situations, our cave moments in life, God can use those to reach more people than our mountaintops, which is hard because where do we want to go? Yeah, we want the mountaintop. I was reading actually just these last uh, few weeks about uh, there are a number of people trying to get to the summit of Mount Everest right now. 
And what's happening at the top of Mount Everest is this thing called queuing. You're getting these long lines of people that are trying to get to the summit of Mount Everest. And what they're finding is oxygen is so, so thin. The air is so thin up there and there's uh, so little oxygen that you just, if you get to the summit, you cannot stay there long. And people are very literally dying trying to get to the summit of Mount Everest. And you think, well, it's the world's largest mountain. I mean, there's got to be plenty of room. The very, very tip top of Mount Everest, you know how many people you can fit up there? Four. Four. Any movement, any other direction, and you've got a two-mile straight drop down toward Nepal, or a two-mile straight down drop toward China and Tibet. Now, you contrast that with years ago, and I believe they still go on the junior high trip, Glenwood. Uh, one of the parts of that Glenwood junior high trip is going to the Glenwood Caverns. And if you've ever been to the Glenwood Caverns, it is incredible when you get back in there. What they do is they take you to one of the darkest parts of the cave, and when they illuminate it, you can literally fit hundreds of people back there. And what's true physically in nature is also true of our lives. God says, look, I, I can use your caves in, in many more lives than I can your mountaintops. That's insight number one. Well, David, back in the cave, he continues through Psalm 57, and next he says this. It's just one word. My heart, O oh God, is steadfast. My heart, O oh God, is steadfast. And I read that and I just thought, does that describe me? Most days, does that describe me? If I'm honest, all it really takes is one word, one tone of voice, one wrong look, and that can shake me. That can rattle me. One situation can send me running to the cave. And I have to think that fresh on David's mind, as he's running from Saul, as he's writing this in Psalm 57, is another event in 1 Samuel. It's chapter 23 this time. As you read through 1 Samuel chapter 23, multiple times you see this dynamic. It says, David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered. And then again, David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered. And then a third time, David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered. You keep going through the chapter, and you read that Saul pursued, Saul and his men pursued David, but God would not give David into his hands. You continue through, and it says this, Saul's son Jonathan, now David ends up out on, in the wilderness on a battlefield, and Saul's son Jonathan goes out to David to help him find strength in God. Now, I highlight that because throughout the chapter of 1 Samuel 23, there is just this work of the Lord over and over and over, and God is answering David, and God is protecting David, and God is strengthening David. And you get to the end of chapter 23, and listen to this episode. Saul, in pursuit of David, was going along one side of the mountain, and David and his men were on the other side, hurrying to get away from Saul. As David and his men were close, as, as Saul and his men were closing in on David and his men to capture them, a messenger came to Saul, saying, "Come quickly! The Philistines are raiding the land." Then Saul broke off his pursuit of David and went to meet the Philistines. Question: 
Who made that happen? I mean, as you walk through chapter 23 of 1 Samuel, and the Lord answered, and the Lord answered, and the Lord answered, and the Lord protected, and the Lord sustained, and the Lord strengthened, who sent that messenger? The Lord sent that messenger. But I don't know that that's where we go. Because a lot of times, in the midst of being on the run, you know what we say? Well, that, that messenger would have just been a coincidence. Or, or it just was happenstance. And David would say, no. No, it is, it is unmistakably clear. If I look at what's behind me, this has been God all the way through this thing. And so we come back to David in the cave. And he just simply says, my heart, oh God, is steadfast. See, there is something about when you have seen God's hand at work as David now knows, you see very little terror in the most terrible of events. You really do. And I think a lot of it for David had to do with where he started this psalm. See, we started this psalm focused on men whose teeth were like spears and arrows and dwelling among ravenous beasts, but that's not actually where David started this psalm. Where David started this psalm, listen to this, verse two and three. I cry out to God, most high, to God who vindicates me. He sends from heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. God sends forth his love and his faithfulness. And there's another insight that we glean from David writing this psalm. And it's simply this, that steadiness in the cave comes from being steadied by God's hand, not ours. Steadiness in the caves of life comes from being steadied by God's hand, not ours. Do you remember the first time you put on a life jacket? Remember the first time? Mine was actually at the bathtub when I was younger, my parents. I'm just kidding, no. Uh, it was actually, it was swim lessons for me, though. They, like, gave up on me. I stood on the diving board, and I just was like, I'm, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. Finally, some well-meaning teenager, like, put a, put a life jacket on me and just, and there I went. But still to this day, when I put on a life jacket and jump in the water, I don't know if anybody else, I'm hoping somebody else does this. This always happens. Just, do you ever just find yourself clinging to the life jacket? Please, somebody, please. This always happens. All right. Well, anyway, what I discovered was, and what I'm reminded of, is eventually you can let go of the life jacket. Because if it's clinging to you, it is stabilizing you in the water. It stabilizes you. And in the same way, David knew. He said, God has me. God has me even when I'm on the run, even when I'm forced to flee, even when I'm in the cave. My heart is steadfast. And he can be steady in the cave because he has walked through the experience of God steadying him. But a lot of times what we do is we spend all our energy avoiding those situations and when we avoid those situations, you know what we do is we lose the experience of God being able to steady us in any and every situation we're in. Well, David actually repeats himself, and he says the same word again, but there's a different context that comes to mind. He says, my heart, O oh God, is steadfast, and then repeats himself. My heart is steadfast. And I have to wonder if this is a different emphasis and a different kind of steadfast as he's reflecting on what he went through. Because in 1 Samuel chapter 24, 
when he may very well have written this psalm, David is back in a cave. And David, as he's in the cave, he's got 600 men with him now in the cave. And Saul, who's, who's in pursuit of David, comes into this cave to go to the bathroom. Yeah, it's in the Bible. You should read your Bible, all right? He comes into the cave to go to the bathroom and his men and David, they're far back in the cave and they say, this is it. This is your opportunity, David. Go, sick him, get him. This is your chance. You kill him right now and you are king. And David, I don't know how, how into this plan he really got, but he crept up to Saul and he cut off the corner of his robe and immediately, immediately, God did something. Listen to this. 1 Samuel chapter 24. David was conscience stricken. In light of what we just talked about, who did that? <laughs> who did that? God did that. David was conscience stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lift my hand against him for he is the anointed of the Lord. Whose glory is this about, even in the cave? You might say, well, he's protecting Saul, so it's about Saul's glory. No, David recognized, David recognized that I will be steadfast in my belief and in my pursuit of my heavenly Father's glory, even in the cave, even if it would be justified, even if it would make me feel better, even if it would fix everything. I will be steadfast on your glory, God, not mine. And with that, David is able to say, my heart is steadfast. Even in the caves of our lives, when maybe we have the power to do something, maybe we have the opportunity to do something, it's that willingness to say, but God, it's about your glory in this. And so I will remain steadfast and wait upon you. And there's a third insight here, and it's simply this, that God can gain glory as much in the cave as on the mountaintop. God can gain glory as much in the cave as on the mountaintop. Do you remember the lyrics we just sang? No less God within the shadows. No less, I'm trying to remember, I wrote them down. <laughs> no less God within the shadows. No less faithful when the night leads me astray. You're the heaven where my heart is in the highlands and the heartache, in the cave, all the same. Do you believe that? I mean, really, do we, do we believe that? Because when we believe that God can gain glory in the cave as much as any other situation in life, well, then you know what happens? Caves become mountaintops for his glory. Caves can become mountaintops for his glory. And with that in mind, David says one more thing that I believe provides one of the most incredible insights of this entire psalm. Verse 7 continues. He says, I will sing and make music. Awake, my soul. Awake, harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. For great is your love, reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Have you noticed the language here? The language is that of music. It's 
audible. It means you can speak it, you can sing it, you can hear it. I will sing and make music. You want to know where the loudest proclaiming of his glory can take place? I mean, just think about it, even in nature. If you go to the top of a mountain and you were to, to yell, sure, it, w- it would reverberate and maybe it would echo. But if you ever tried to scream in a cave, what happens? It amplifies. It amplifies. And David says, now, even right now, while I'm in the cave, I will sing. I will make music. And what happens? He awakens something. He awakens his soul. He awakens, it says, he awakened the dawn. See, when you can proclaim God's glory in the caves of life, you awaken something. The people I am most impressed by over and over and over are those people who, when they're in the cave, they proclaim God's glory because they know this fourth insight when it comes to David's time on the run. And it's simply this, that God's glory is not nullified by the cave. We often think that, don't we? God's glory is not nullified by the cave. It's amplified by it. In fact, what I love most about our music ministry here at the church We've got a couple different styles of music. But what I love most is not the style. It's the people that get up here. Because when you think about the stories of the people who get up here, you know what they understand? They've known the cave. And yet they get up here and they literally sing the glory of God. Dave McDonald, many of you know, Dave McDonald lost his wife earlier this year. Within weeks, do you know where he was? Up here in the choir. The Kellers, they lost a son, Ryan, in a car accident years ago. Then lost their daughter to a car accident. You know where he found Karen Keller in the ensuing months? Singing praises to God. Chris Kowser, many of you know what he's been walking through with the leg injury and all that he's, and it's just been up and down and up and down. And what is the prognosis? And where is he? He's singing the glory of God. Lori Verbal with a cancer diagnosis a while back. Where was she? Singing to the glory of God. You can ask any member of our worship team and ask them about their stories. And you know what you'd find? You'd find a very resonant connection to your own cave experiences. I've found resonant connections to my own cave experiences and literally they're up here leading us in proclaiming and singing the glory of God. It's an incredible thing. They amplify the glory of God and they lead us in it. And with all that in mind, David closes the psalm like this with repeating what he had said earlier. Be exalted, O God, verse 11. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. You want to know how you refuel? I mean, you want to know how you can, you can enter into this coming school year. Maybe it's the next fiscal year. Maybe you're in the cave right now. You want to know how you enter into that time of year with all the cave experiences it brings about? It's simply this. You do what David does here. You speak God's glory 
in the places that have taken yours. We speak God's glory in the places that have taken ours. And God does something with that. David said it. He awakens. He awakens our own souls. He will awaken the dawn, and he will awaken those around us. This church is here to amplify the glory of God, even in the cave, to awaken this community. And so this morning, we're actually going to close service, and I'll invite up the worship team. We're actually going to close service with a time of communion. And as I thought about that, I thought, this is so interesting to me. Because Jesus' life, you know where it began? I I know we talk about a manger, but when you do some reading and studying, it's possible that it's not so much a wooden barn as much as the manger resembled much more of a cave. And as he went through cave experiences in life, where did his life physically end? Well, they put him on a cross and they put him in a, a tomb. Very reminiscent of a cave. And you know what God said? That's no accident. He says, my glory can begin right there in the cave. So you want to refuel? Speak God's glory in the places that have taken yours. Let me pray. And communion this morning, actually, we're just going to ask you to come up to the tables and you can go back to your seat and take it, but you'll take it on your own as you feel led. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that you are a God who you decided when you looked at us human beings and you said, I want to work through and use and be part of all that they are, you decided that there was no boundary to that. That even in the deepest, darkest of caves, you said, I'm right there with you. And my glory can be proclaimed right there. And in doing so, you can make a mountaintop even out of our caves. I pray that as we reflect on communion, as we're reminded of your son, remind us first and foremost of what he did at the cross. And he entered in to the darkest, loneliest, most fearful place. And it was there because of his faithfulness. Because of his faithfulness, you gave us the opportunity to experience the glory that came starting in the tomb. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.